Well, we are in a study of um, stewardship this month. We are normally going through the, uh, the pace of verse-by-verse exposition in the book of Romans, but for the month of January and now a couple of weeks into February, we've paused to talk about stewardship. Now, the second you say that phrase, everyone thinks, okay, here, here he comes, we're talking about money. That's not all that we're talking about. In fact, we've said very little about funds or resources thus far, and we will say very little about it even today, having been about four weeks into the study. We're going to be talking this morning about our most important stewardship. One of the most Interesting and insightful questions uh, to kick around. I, I'm sure you've had this discussion with, with other people. I'm sure you've thought about it. Is this. If your house immediately caught fire and you could only grab one thing or even a couple of things, what would you grab? Just think about that a minute. What would you run in? Let's say that, that, there was, uh, that it was started maybe in the attic and what you want is not in the attic. Let's just for argument's sake say that. And you could only run in and grab something and leave. What would it be? Have you ever thought about that? What would be your most valuable possession or possessions to, to grab and run out the door with? This was not a theoretical question for me when I was in the ninth grade. I was actually uh, put in a position where I was not able to make this decision, even though our house burnt entirely to the ground. I was about 100 miles away visiting my cousins when I received a call from my father informing me that our house earlier that evening had burnt entirely to the ground with nothing recovered. They had gone out for dinner. Uh, our hot water heater had had a short. It, uh, it, it caught the, uh, the, the dirty clothes, which were by the uh, washer on fire. At least this is what the, our, the, the investigation said. And then it spread, got the carpet, and it went up in flames in just a matter of minutes. Uh, we were not a family of great means back then. We had no insurance. That was an odd reality for a 15-year-old to process. You're 100 miles away, and you realize everything that I own except for what I'm wearing and what's in the gym bag that I brought with me is gone. It's gone. It's unrecoverable. Now, to be honest with you, looking back over that, it, I don't even remember what I lost except our pictures. Uh, we have very few uh, pictures, uh, family pictures from when I was a baby. The Lord may have some humor in that. Um, maybe he didn't want me to show those to my children, but uh, that's the only thing we really miss. I clearly remember, though, lying in bed that night and itemizing all the things that I was not going to be going home to. Uh, also, by the way, it was two weeks before Christmas. So um, uh, it, it went on the local news, and I was 15, and somehow they got it wrong. And, and we had this outpouring of all these toys for my younger brothers and sister. Outpouring of toys for my younger brother and sister. I was 15. Outpouring of toys for my younger brothers and sisters. And I remember waking up that Christmas morning uh, over at a friend's house and just being thankful that, that we, were, we were all okay. Losing literally everything has an interesting way of realigning your priorities. You know, I think back for my parents and what that must have meant for them and, and even comparing it to what it meant for me as just a 15-year-old. But asking yourself what your greatest possession is, is really a quick way of getting at your priorities. What is most important to you? What's most valuable to you? What do you prize more than anything? 
photos, an heirloom, your Bible, a special gift. For a Christian, however, we have a possession that exceeds in value every other and any possible possession or treasure on the earth. Here's a question. You've heard it asked before. Jim Elliott asked it in a different way. But let me ask you, ask you this morning. What do you have? What do you possess that money can't buy and death can't take away? What do you own? What do you possess that money can't buy and death cannot take away? In other words, eternity has a determining value assessment on our most important things. It evaluates very quickly what's most important to us. And when you're measuring your values by or against eternity, only one thing matters, and that is the gospel. Are you, do you possess, are you ready to see the Lord? Are you ready to give an account for your life? Do you possess an argument? Let's just say it that way. So what the book of Romans says, do you possess an argument that you can lay out, a legal strategy that you can lay out before the holy God of the universe that, that would allow you entrance into heaven? There is such a legal case to be made, and it's not made by you, and it's not made by me. It's made by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made the provision for a believer to enter into heaven and to spend all eternity with God the Father, with the saints, with the angels in heaven, and to avoid hell. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul asks this, what do you have that you did not receive? Interesting question. What do you have that you did not receive? For a Christian, all, and I really mean all that we have, all that we possess, all that we own spiritually, all that we own physically, all that we own materially, has been given to us or entrusted to us. In our series, we've been looking at some of these things that, that make up the answer of what, what we have that, we haven't, that uh, the Lord has given us. Uh, life and time, gifts and talents, relationships. Aaron talked about the worship that we have to steward. And today we're talking about the gospel, the good news, the message of salvation, which is the living, resurrected Savior who offers salvation to those who will believe. None of these things are really ours. They've been given to us. They're gifts and stewardships given by the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Flip over there for a moment. We're going to be turning to several passages this morning. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul actually talks about the stewardship that he has of owning, of sharing, of communicating the good news of Jesus, the gospel. And he actually says it in terms of framing his own reputation. He says, this is how I should be known, I want to be known. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner. As servants or slaves of Christ. And here's our word, stewards, owners of a stewardship of the mysteries of God. You see that? We're stewards, we're owners, we're possessors who will give an account for the mysteries of God. Verse 2, in this case, moreover, it is required of a steward that he be found, what? Trust 
worthy. Paul understood his greatest gift that he'd given, been given by the Lord as the gospel. And he understood that he had a stewardship to, to shepherd that gift, to own that gift, to be responsible for that gift as a steward who would be accountable one day to the one who had given him that stewardship. Verse 1, he says, that we're stewards of the mysteries of God. That's just shorthand for the gospel. The mysteries means it was, it was not a clear, uh, clearly articulated in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. Now it's been given to those in the Newer Testament who understand that, that the one that the Old Testament prophesied about was Jesus. And now we have that mystery. We own it as stewards. Well, let's look then at some implications if we, if we can. Implications of our gospel stewardship. I'm going to give you three. The first we need to consider is this. The gospel should be treasured as our greatest possession. We've already hinted at this. The gospel should be treasured as our greatest possession. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be flipping around a lot today, so just keep your Bible oiled up on the spine, if you will. Matthew 16. Jesus asks a question of his disciples here in Matthew 16 that gets at the heart of this treasure that the gospel is to be to a believer. You remember the flow of Matthew 16. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of living God. He talks about uh, uh, the, the, the cost of, the, of discipleship. If any man wants to follow me, he must take of his cross and follow me. And then Jesus says in verse 24, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take of his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26 is one of the most important verses in the Bible that you hold. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and consequently forfeits his soul? Said another way, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If you move backwards in this little passage, he's already said that we deny ourselves, we take up a cross, we follow him. He is to be the object of our worship. He's to be the focus of our lives. But then Jesus asked, what would, what's the competition to that? What will it profit a man if you get everything you want? He gains the whole world. It's a, a very broad description. What if you got everything you ever wanted in the world on this planet? You owned everything you could ever want to own. You accomplished everything you want to accomplish. You experienced everything you could ever want to experience. And in the end, you forfeit your soul. What is he saying? Is he saying if you ever get anything you want that you would forfeit your soul? No. Is he saying if you ever experience something that you always wanted to experience that you would forfeit your soul? No, no, no. He's saying, look at the last phrase. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, are you, am I, would someone treasure something so much in this life that it would prevent them, him or her, from pursuing giving their lives to Christ? That's the question. Is there anything that prevents you from giving your all to Christ? In other words, is the greatest treasure you can imagine the Lord Jesus himself? Having a relationship with him. 
being owned by him, owning that relationship, being righteous before him because of his, his death and burial and resurrection, being in, in, implanted in, in your, in your, in your, um, in, in, as a vine into him, being in righteous in a way that you could have never been by your own efforts. Why, how? By believing. It's a great question. Is it your greatest treasure? If it is your greatest treasure, watch this twist of language. If it's your greatest treasure, you will treasure it. Do you treasure the gospel? Is it something you think about, talk about, thank the Lord for, interact about? Is it the, is it the object of what, what's discussed around the family table? Is it what you can't help talking about at work? Is it a treasure? Remember what Jesus told, uh, said in Mark 8, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before the angels, before my Father in heaven. Is the gospel your treasure? It's amazing how we boast and brag about those things that we own or, or our treasures, right? You get a new watch, you wanna show someone. You have a new blouse or shirt you wanna, you wanna uh, show someone. I, I, I don't understand this, but my, my wife loves telling me not only if she got something new, but what a good deal it was. Uh, I, I don't really understand that. I'm glad that you like that. I'm glad you own that. The fact that you got it on sale, I guess I should be a good steward of my money and say thank you for that, but she really enjoys the story of how it was you know, this much off and this much off and a coupon, and by the way, and, and actually they gave me money to take it. That's the way it ends up in the end. <laughs> flip over to Matthew 13, back a few chapters. This is, that's the heavy part of it. Let me show you the flip side, the, the joyful side of this treasure that is ours, this stewardship in the gospel. I love these two little parables stacked back to back in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, look at verse 44. Verses 44, 45, and 46. Two little stories, the, the shortest parables in Jesus' um, arsenal of explaining the kingdom. Jesus says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven being saved, having salvation, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Let me give you a weak illustration of this. Several years ago, I was at a, uh, an outlet mall and was wandering through uh, the Columbia store, the outdoor uh, clothing store, Columbia. It was in Southern California, and uh, there's not a lot of heavy winter stuff in uh, Southern California. And I, I looked in um, uh, this one rack, and, and it had camo. And as you might know, that drew me right in. Why, why is there camo here at this, at this store? Well, I went over and looked at it, and there was... Uh, a, a duck jacket. Now, without getting into all the, the uh, nuances of it, it had a down uh, pull-out liner. It, was, it was, uh, had all the attachments where you could call, put duck calls. It was great. It was a $575 jacket. And it was marked for $14. And so, I felt my heart began to race. I felt my, my mouth begin to water, 
And I grabbed it. And literally with sweaty palms, I thought, what is going to happen? Someone's going to, is this Miss So, And then I'm on the way to, to buy it. And my conscience is getting the best of me. This, this can't be right. This was mismarked. And so I get up there and I, I said, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but I, I think this was mismarked. And because there's no way it can cost this. And the girl who might have been 18 says, well, it doesn't matter if that's the price. That's what we're going to give it to you. And I felt my palms sweat even more. And she did the credit card, and I walked out, and I had this treasure. What percentage is that off? Ben, what is that? 500 and something, say 600 down to 14. A lot off, right? What is it? About 95% off. I don't know about you, but in my math, that's good. So I remember having this treasure and feeling so good, like, look what I got. That is a small illustration of what's happening with this man. He finds this treasure in a field. He goes and he sells everything to get this field so that he could have that treasure. There were no banks in this, this, this time. Uh, there was no safety deposit box. If you had something, some money, some treasure, uh, a big stash of cash, you would bury it. This guy's walking across. He finds the field. Obviously, someone had forgotten about it. He goes and buys the field. Whoever sold him uh, the field didn't know about it, obviously, or they wouldn't have sold it, or they would have found it before then. He buys it, and he cashes in on that. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant selling fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. He found the treasure of his life. He was a merchant. He found the ultimate purchase and sold everything he had to get that one thing. Here's what I want you to notice right in the middle of verse 44. It says, and from joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. From joy over it. I have heard people say, and I think they're probably well-intentioned, but say things like, well, I came to the Lord kicking and screaming. No, you didn't. (laughs) From joy over it. We possess, we possess eternal life. Is that a treasure? Secondly, the gospel should be guarded as our greatest stewardship. The gospel should be guarded as our greatest stewardship. Remember, a steward, stewardship is something that someone gives you for safekeeping, for management. God has given you, God has given me the gospel for safekeeping, the gospel for management. Listen to the words of Donald Whitney. He says this, the gospel is infinitely more than a ticket to heaven. It is a message that contains not only a person's destination in eternity, but his heart and mind here and now. The gospel transforms more than a person's relationship to God. It also transforms a person's relationship to everything else. I love that. He goes on. That's why one of the most reliable evidences that a person has been converted is that he begins to look for ways to use his time, talent, treasure in service to the gospel. When a person eagerly begins to use his resources and to serve and spread the gospel... It testifies to the value that, it, that he places on the gospel and the fact that he treasures the God of the gospel above all else. I love the fact that he says it changes our relationship to everything else. We own, get this, we own the message of the gospel as our testimony 
And God expects us to steward that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Then he says this. Uh, by the way, are you ready to be humbled? This is very humbling. He says, we have this treasure, the, the message of the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, the gospel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, literally privy pots. These were, were pots of, of, of dishonor. You would use them typically in the restroom and then go throw them away. We have the treasure. He calls ourselves these little privy pots so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We have this treasure in earthen clay pots. You are, you are a clay pot that God has deposited the gospel into, making us intrinsically valuable because Christ dwells in us. What are the implications of that? Paul told Timothy as a pastor the implications, but I think they, they bleed over into you and me as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, you know this passage well, and you're welcome to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul says, therefore, talking to Timothy, remember, Timothy is the pastor at the church at Ephesus that Paul founded. Paul was there for three years. He leaves it in the hands of Timothy there in Ephesus. Timothy, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, verse 8. Or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. What a statement. Join with me in suffering for the gospel. It's the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he was granted to us in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason I suffer all these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Now, now watch the reversal here. Paul says, I trust that God can entrust be entrusted with what I'm entrusting to him. I have given God the stewardship of my life. Isn't that interesting? I have trusted my life with God and I'm confident he's able to keep it. Now look at the other side of the coin. Verse 13, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is what I'm going, verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been now entrusted to you. What's the treasure? He just told us it's the gospel. Guarded. How can we guard it? The gospel, as I said, should be our greatest stewardship. How do we guard it? First of all, we, we protect this truthfulness. You and I are living in a day in which the gospel is under open and, and, and vile attack. There are so many different angles at trying to undermine the gospel of grace. Uh, basically, they fall into, into a few categories. One category is, is libertinism. In other words, you can be saved, God will forgive you, live like you want, it doesn't matter. That's not the gospel of grace. 
The other side is, no, you have to do everything God says or you're not saved. That's not the gospel of grace. That's legalism. Are you guarding the truthfulness of the gospel? Part of that, I hope, is why we come to this church with each other. That we are holding one another accountable to the standard of sound words, verse 13 says. To say what the Bible says, all the Bible says, no more than what the Bible says. To guard with every part of our being, to every fiber of our, our, our structure as a church, the truth that Jesus saves according to his grace, by faith, according to his death, for us who rose from the dead, the historicity, the meaning, and the, the call to repentance that is the gospel. We have been given that to guard as our treasure. How are we doing that? Sounds easy at church. Are you guarding the treasure at home, around the dinner table, with your devotions, with your children, husbands, with your wives? Are we guarding the truthfulness of the gospel? Because I promise you this, all the powers of hell, the greatest efforts of Satan are to undermine what's true about the gospel. You've been given a stewardship. I've been given a stewardship to protect its truthfulness, to guard it as our greatest treasure, from joy over it to sacrifice everything. It is our message. We guard with our very lives. It should be guarded as our greatest stewardship. Number three, and you knew this was coming, right? The gospel should be offered as our greatest gift. The gospel should be offered as our greatest gift. As God gives us the stewardship of the gospel, this is not something that he intends for just us to have. It's not like that hitting the lottery and you get all the money for yourself and you don't want to share it. This is something that we get great joy from sharing, from offering. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, manifests through us, the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. We looked at this last week. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Do you understand that? We are called by God. Think about this. We are called by God to steward the gospel in such a way that we're presenting it to some who respond and be saved. And Paul says we're presenting the gospel to some so that they may be condemned in the gospel that they're rejecting. In other words, if someone is going to go to hell, let them go to hell with, with us having said, at least they know what they were rejecting. That's Paul's point here. To the one aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. I love what he says at the end of 16. Who is adequate for these things? Can anybody really do this? Can we really be adequate to offer to someone eternal life? You might expect that the answer to that will be, well, no one's adequate. Actually, the point of this passage is that God has made us stewards of adequacy to present the gospel. Four, four verse 17, we are not like the many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak Christ in the sight of God. Our treasure is not a message, it's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's not a plan, it's a person. Turn over a few chapters to 2 Corinthians 5. 
one of my favorite passages in all of God's word. This, this just jumps off the page every time I read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things, done, passed away. Guess what? Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you hear that? He reconciled us. He gave to us, entrusted to us as stewards, the ministry of reconciliation. Is that unbelievable? God saves and has given us the ministry of salvation. He's given it to us as a stewardship. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word, the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Therefore, you want a higher um, accountability than just a steward? Look at this. We are what? Ambassadors for Christ. This next phrase is almost hard to read. As though God were making an appeal through us. Wrap your mind around the gravity of that. When you're sharing the gospel with someone, I mean, it just gives you chills to think about. God is speaking through you. You are his mouthpiece. It's incredible. Look at that again. God is making an appeal through us. God is begging people to be reconciled to himself through us. What a stewardship. Then he says this. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Have you ever begged someone to believe the gospel? humbled yourself, thrown away your pride, wept and sobbed over the gravity of the trouble that their soul was in and said, please, I beg you, please, please, with all the sincerity of your heart, I beg you, believe the gospel and be saved. Look at the reasoning in verse 21. He made him, that is Jesus, God made Jesus who knew no sin, literally sin, to become sin, the noun, sin, on our behalf instead of us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is no more dense verse in all of the Bible of the gospel than that verse. The density of gospel truth in there. Every word is saturated with meaning. He made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on on our behalf instead of us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, on the cross, God the Father treated Jesus as if he had lived our unrighteous life. So that in heaven, he could treat us as if we had lived Jesus' righteous life. That's our message. We have a stewardship to tell people that. We don't have time right now, but in Matthew 25, there is a story told by Jesus of the talents. Talent is not 
you know, whether you can run fast or, or play the trumpet. Talent is a, is a measure of money. And the point of Jesus' parable there is that we are given these talents in different measures as a stewardship. And he will expect an accounting from these talents. And the point of that parable is to say this. The way that you discipline yourself, the way that we discipline ourselves in application of the treasure he's given us, the talent he's given us, which is the gospel, that's the investment he's made in us, is the standard by which he's going to evaluate our ministry. How badly do you want to hear? Is it even a part of your motivation structure? How badly do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful steward, Enter into the joy of your master. Is that even on your radar? Do you want to please him? Do you want to be found faithful by holding the treasure of the gospel and offering it? That is our greatest gift. The most sought after medical cure in our generation is a cure for cancer. I was reading an article where that's our big malady in our generation. You go back several hundred years, it was the plague. Um, there, there were different, there are different uh, maladies in, in almost every season or generation where it's the greatest threat. Ours is cancer. More money is spent today, get this, more money is spent medically on finding a cure for cancer than in all of the other disciplines combined. It's remarkable. All of the other cures that are being sought combined, I should say it that way. Countless funds are being spent every day worldwide to try to find a way to cure the progression of cancer cells. Can you imagine if here in Kansas City, a man or a woman in a white lab coat somewhere in in a laboratory actually found 100% verifiable a cure for the spread of cancer, the development of cancer. Can you imagine a 100% effective way to cure cancer? And this man or woman finds it and no announcement is made? Is that even fathomable? I mean, that, that you would have a cure for the most threatening disease on the planet and you wouldn't tell anyone? You would just keep it to yourself in case you ever needed it. It's, it's a little bit ridiculous, isn't it? The researcher keeps the protocol to him or herself or herself. We would understandably accuse them of being highly irresponsible, would we not? You can cure people's cancer and you're not going to tell anybody that? You could end cancer worldwide, you're not going to tell anyone that? You have the cure and you're not going to apply that? You know where this is going, right? We have the cure for hell. We have the remedy for a Christless eternity. We have the message that saves people not from sickness and disease in this life. It saves people from God forever in heaven and not an eternal hell. We have that message How responsible are we 
with that treasure, that stewardship. He has made us his, not just stewards, his ambassadors. That's pretty heavy. Now, does that mean we need to feel guilty for every merchant that we didn't witness to, every person we drove by this week and didn't stop them in the middle of the street and tell them the gospel? No, no, no. It should, though, motivate us with every conversation we're gonna have that we have the cure, we have the remedy for hell that this person is abiding under the wrath of God and we can solve that with a message that's been given to us, with a message that saved us. I hope you feel that as a burden, as a stewardship, as, as the ambassadorship that you've been given. We, we have been given this message from which God expects an accounting and from which he expects from us a return. You say, well, what if, what if I've told so many people, my family, my neighbors, my friends, my coworkers, and no one has responded? Remember this. Nowhere does it say in the Bible you are accountable for their response. Only accountable for our delivery of the message. Remember what Paul said? For some, we're a message from death to death. To others, from life to life. And when he says, who is adequate for these things? We, we, we are tempted to say, nobody. No, no Paul says, no, no. God has made us adequate because of the message, not because of our own selves. Your greatest stewardship is the gospel. Does your family treasure the gospel? What are you doing to foster that treasuring? Do your friends and neighbors understand that you have the cure for hell? Do they understand that you have the remedy for a Christless eternity? You, you understand what we have. What we have is greater than any cure for any disease. We have, we have a message that saves for eternity. What a privilege. What a gracious God to have entrusted us with that. What's your greatest stewardship? It's the message of the gospel. It's also to protect the truthfulness of the gospel and also to enjoy the gospel that God has given us. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I am not unaware that this message could fall on ears that really don't understand that, that you are not a possessor of this great treasure, but one in great need of it. You come to church on the right day and you're around the right people around you who can tell you the remedy for a Christless eternity and the invitation to an eternity with Christ. Please don't leave the, the building without talking to someone and how you can give your life to the Savior, how you can be saved from your sin and enjoy abundant life this side of eternity in the person of Christ who will see by sight and not faith after our death. Our prayer will be open in a few moments. So to my right, you're welcome to come and speak to someone there. Or you can just talk to someone around you. There are so many people in this building who would love to introduce you to the treasure that they have named Jesus Christ.
Father, we are honored, we're humbled, we're waylaid, we are overwhelmed by the fact that you would make us stewards, ambassadors of the gospel. Protect us from being burdened by guilt if we've not been the stewards we need to be and instead motivate us by fresh grace, fresh mercy, fresh forgiveness, fresh opportunities to tell people of the life-saving, life-changing message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, make us stewards of our greatest treasure, our relationship with your son. Convict us, teach us, motivate us, prepare us for suffering the persecution, even the hardship, even the ridicule that may come from being stewards. And keep our eye focused, keep our ears ever attentive, Lord of that wonderful day that we might hear well done from your lips. We pray this because of the gift they've given us in your son, the Lord Jesus himself. Amen.